You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. This, uh, this morning, we are so glad you've joined us to uh, worship the Lord together. And we may not be familiar to you, but your Heavenly Father knows you. And uh, he wants to speak to you, so you just open your heart up to him this morning. I know he's going to do that. Um, we're going to let the kids go to children's ministry in just a second, in just a second, in just a second. <laughs> I should know better than to do that. Uh, but first, um, one of our uh, members, dear members, uh, had something she wanted to share this morning uh, with us. So let's give her a good welcome, Cindy. <clears throat> ago, as of today actually, which is strange, um, my husband relocated <laughs> to heaven, and um, I had a while back just asked David, I said, is there some way I could send a thank you card or put something on the overhead or something that I could just let you all know how much I appreciate the prayer and the love and the and the gifts, and he said, well, why don't you do it in person? And I thought, well, that's not happening. <laughs> so here we are. Anyway, um, I just want to tell you that um, it was, I think we joined a year after Josh had passed away. And um, about a year after that, Mike started having some complications with his heart. So we were here sometimes and not a lot of times. But you all continue to love us as if we were here all the time. It was just so precious and so ministering to the two of us to even have the voicemail that everybody <laughs> said we love you and we're praying for you. I still have that on my phone. It's just really sweet. And I just want to say thank you so much for loving us. I just want to say thank you to Emily Cook for, she and David send me texts all the time to encourage me, and it's been really sweet. Kim, really, Kimberly Benedetti, Benedetti keeps up with me over Messenger, and I can't even begin to tell you what Joe and Becky have meant to me, so I'm not, because it'll be ugly, cry. And Linda, thank you for the cards. They've been precious, and Emily Canal is just, uh, she's just a love bomb. She's just as sweet as she can be, and there's just been Helen's, both Helen's and Joyce, and uh, if I've left anyone out, I'm sorry, but it's just been Rutgers. Y'all have just hugged and loved, and it, the prayers have meant more, I think, than anything, and it's got us through so much. And I just want to share a passage with you real quick that the Lord put on my heart. Elaine, who is Riley, who is the constant cheerleader, uh, it's out of Isaiah 32. It says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in justice, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a refuge from the storm. 
as rivers of water in a dry place and as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. This is what you've meant to us. You've been that shade tree. And that cool drink of water. And that security that the Lord has reached his hand through you and touched our lives. And we just so appreciate it. And love you guys. Thank you so much. Love you, Cindy. Okay, so now the kids can go to children's ministry. <clears throat> Let's pray for our kids as they go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just the incredible uh, privilege that we have, Lord, of uh, uh, pouring into these kids' lives, helping them lay a foundation uh, in cooperation with you, Lord, uh, that they can build on for the rest of their lives. I just pray that you'd bless them this morning, Lord, that your word uh, every day would just become alive to them, Lord, um, that uh, you would be drawing them to yourself, Lord, to that, that place, Lord, of surrender and uh, that place, Lord, of, uh, of relationship with you. And uh, give us wisdom, Lord, uh, as, uh, as this um, congregation is an expression of your body, uh, Lord, to, um, to understand what our responsibilities are to lay down our lives for them and uh, to treasure them and to respect and honor them, Lord, uh, not just as uh, children, Lord, but as, uh, as uh, co-heirs uh, with us to the kingdom of God. And uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study of the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> Not making much progress, but we're plugging away at it. Because um, like when I started this, I was thinking there's some parts of this that I'll be able to, you know, just kind of encapsulate and, and move on beyond. But it seems like every subject that we come, up, come across uh, in this just deserves a deep dive uh, into it. And so that's the way that we're, uh, we're doing it. We're in chapter 5 of uh, Nehemiah uh, this morning. And this is about, um, we, we're, we've titled it Rebuild, Restore, and Renew. And uh, they have already started building the wall. In fact, they are almost done with the wall at this point. Um, and God is beginning to do, not just because, like we said before, God's not interested just in building a wall. He's interested in building a people. So he's not just interested sort of in the physical presence of Israel, but he's interested in their, their spiritual presence. Um, presence and their spiritual health and well-being he's always been much more concerned about that than he is about um, sort of the physical aspects of their faith um, even though that is important and what he's beginning to do now is he's beginning to restore uh, some things to them as we said before they have been in captivity most of them some of them have been in captivity some of them remained in the land but remaining in the land was not better than being in captivity because they had no rights, they had no, um, you know, everything that they had was gone. It was, it was devastated, it was destroyed. Um, and that destruction was just as real for those that were in the land as for those who were in captivity. 
And so God's bringing them back into the land with a really uh, uh, daunting task, and that's to rebuild the walls um, that had been torn down. But at the same time, they have really lost their identity uh, during this whole period. The only thing that they could identify themselves with is a failure um, because they had failed God. God had not failed them. They had, they had done things that, in hindsight, and we all have these things in our lives, look back on those things, and we're just like, man, I had such an opportunity. How could I have missed that? Um, why did I fail? Why did I not take this seriously? And why did I not walk in the fullness of what God had done? And God's miracles on their, their behalf only served to drive the, the guilt and the shame deeper. Um, but God was not after guilt and shame. God was after restoration. And he always is. You can mark that. God is always looking for the, the opportunity in our lives, in our hearts, to do a great work on our behalf, even when we've fallen and even when we fell. And so they're big, coming back into the land, but they got some lessons to learn. Because in captivity, you think like a slave. You think like a, uh, a person who has no rights. You come back into the land, and God wants them to learn to walk in their freedom. And he wants to restore them physically, spiritually, and emotionally as well. And so this chapter is about the restoration of justice, which is an incredibly uh, uh, serious and important um, thing to God. Um, the reason why they were sold into exile, if I ask you why did they have to go into exile, probably most people would begin by saying that they didn't fulfill the law, and that is true. But there are certain aspects of the law, as Jesus, when he was correcting the Pharisees, he said, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. In other words, you look at some parts of the law and you're making a huge deal out of that, and God is saying, that's not the most important thing, this is the most important thing. So idolatry, all of the, all of the sin and the, um, uh, and the degradation of Israel flowed from idolatry. But one of the reasons why God sent them out of the land, and he said it over and over and over again, and especially in the book of Amos, um, was the lack of justice. And God takes justice so seriously. And when God says justice, he doesn't mean people getting what they deserve or what they lawfully should get, but getting everything that God has for them. Not only that, God, when he looks at the law, he says the law is good but I'm going to go above and beyond. So God says, I'm going to not just give these people what they deserve, but I'm going to give them so much more than they deserve, right? That's God's definition of justice. That's the way that he does it. So who's going to pay for the extra? God pays for the extra, right? And if we want justice, and if we really want what God wants, it's going to cost. That's just the way that it goes. It's going to come out of your time. It's going to come out of your pocket. It's going to come out of your, you know, position. You're going to have to be generous with what you have if you want everybody to be able to have what God wants them to have. You guys with me on this? And that's so serious with God. Um, over and over again in the prophets. Let me just read this passage from Amos because Amos is prophesying to Israel. This is the word of the Lord to Israel. Going back a couple of verses uh, from this. It says, it's Amos 5, chapter 21. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. 
and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. And the peace offering of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear what you would say to us today, Lord. Give us a heart, Lord, to respond, not to you and not even to the need, Lord, but give us a heart to respond to the, to the Spirit of God that is within us, Lord. Give us, give us grace, Lord Jesus, um, to see justice and to see mercy like you do so that we will see ourselves as an ever-flowing resource, Lord, to those around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So those are hard words. That's God saying, as, as if God would say to us today, you know what, I hate it when TCF comes together. I hate it when you guys come together and you start singing your songs and all of that. He says, take that stuff away from me. He's not saying that to us. You understand what I'm saying? But that's, what is, that's the position that Israel is in here. Because they're thinking, we're doing the sacrifices somewhat, somewhat. We're observing, you know, the law somewhat. You know, the things that don't really cost us that much, we're pretty good about. The things that cost us, you know, we explain those things away. God wants truth in the inward parts. God wants us not just to be going through the motions and not just giving him lip service, but that we really get it and we rejoice in what he's called us to do and that we do it with all of our hearts. Nehemiah chapter 5, I'll give you a little bit of an outline of where, where we're going today. First of all, Nehemiah deals with injustices in the community. Secondly, his personal contribution to the pro project. And then thirdly, Nehemiah takes measures to end the exploitation of the weak by the powerful. And so I'm going to read it. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Nehemiah, you can follow along with me. This is uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. It says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there, arose, for there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And there were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is the, as, as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves and some of our daughters have already become enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have fields and, and our have our fields and our vineyards. And Nehemiah said, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from your brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent, and they could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? 
Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields and their vineyards and their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called out the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord and the people uh, did as they had promised. Moreover from that time, uh, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered here for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is one of those chapters that uh, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you'll come across it. Other than that, you don't see it really very often. And that's one of the advantages of working through a whole book is because there's parts of that book that are maybe obscure or often overlooked that we have to deal with. And this is one that is probably one of the most important ones close to the heart of God. Because what this shows is that people use their position for their own advantage. They use their resources to take care of themselves. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think God has a better way. That's the way the world does it. In Philippians, Paul reminds us to have in us the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held onto or grasped or used for his own advantage, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a human being. He became a man, and he became a servant as a, as a man. That just flies in the face of us. We want to... We want to take care of ourselves. We want to use every advantage to take care of ourselves and our families. And the fact is, is that God is much more generous than that. God's not like that, right? And you see how that is. Jesus had everything. It didn't, he didn't need to come to earth, but he did it because he loved. And love was a burden that, that brought him to take care of us. How often do we turn deaf ear and a blind eye to people who have less advantage or less resources than we do. 
Most studies that are done of the way that people regard other people is not that we ignore people, we just don't see them. It's not like I see something and I say, you know, I don't want to see that. It's just that we don't see them. We see what pertains to us and we see what, what we can use to our advantage and we don't see the needs that are around us all the time. And I'm not necessarily talking about you. I'm talking about human beings, okay? Because in this body, I have seen people minister to people in incredible ways. I have seen people treat other people like family, and not like the dysfunctional family that many of us came from, but like the family of God. Like that other person is not just somebody who we go to a movie and sit next to, the, next to each other with, but somebody who we are flesh and blood with, that we belong together and they belong to us. And what hurts them and what touches them touches us as well. And I think that's what God's intention is for us to live that way. This passage of Scripture starts with uh, an outcry. And this is the people who are, who are oppressed started making a big deal about it. And let me tell you, it takes a lot of courage to do that sometimes. These people obviously were pressed beyond measure. They were losing their, their, um, their goods. They were losing their, um, their families. Um, they, were, they were oppressed, and they were, uh, and, and they were suffering, and they let everybody know about it. Often we regard those people as troublemakers, unfortunately. But listen, there's another ear that's listening to that, and if you don't listen to it, he's going to listen to it. He has said that, the cry of the widows and orphans. You remember um, what he said about Egypt, the reason why he delivered these people, even though they were a mess and they were on all, you know, all over the place, he heard them when they were suffering, and they cried out to God, and the, and, the, and, the Lord, and the Bible says that God heard them. When God talked to Moses, he says, this has come up before me. Pharaoh didn't hear it. A lot of the Egyptians didn't hear it, but God heard it, and God did something about it. If we don't hear it, he certainly will hear it, and he will take action to make sure that that is addressed. They're appealing to a higher authority. And we see Nehemiah do this over and over again. He gets news, he starts praying. He runs into to opposition, he starts praying. At this point, at the, at the end of this one, we're going to see the same thing. That all of this is, first of all, it's between Nehemiah and God. It's not between Nehemiah and the people. That's part of it. But the most important thing is what's going on between a, a servant of the Lord and somebody who cares about the things of God and God himself. God hears the cry of the poor and the oppressed. Man may try to deafen himself, but God takes it seriously. They're working to build the wall. Here's one of the problems that they've got here. Number one, a lot of them have come from a foreign land. They don't have, they're coming back with hardly anything. Even, apparently, even in, that, even in um, uh, Persia, um, there was still this pecking order between them. And people hang on to that. They hang on to their position of authority. And they lord that over people. That's how Jesus said that authority works um, in the world. And so even though they're in captivity, apparently there's still these, you know, this pecking order going on with some people kind of feeling like that they're you know, above other people. But when they come back into the land, it certainly is true. When they come back into the land, there are some people who own property, who, who have acquired some wealth. And these people come in and they've got basically nothing 
And immediately, people start taking advantage of them. They come back into the land, and their first and primary responsibility is building a wall. That doesn't give them time to have a job. It doesn't give them time to have an income. So if they're going to eat, they're not going to eat by the sweat of their own brow. They're going to have to have, somehow there's going to have to be a supply to them. And not only that, there's a, t- there's a tax on top of that. So add insult to injury, they come back into the land and they have to rebuild their own wall, but they also still have to pay tax to the king that is oppressing them, to the political system that is oppressing them. You see how this is just like the deck is stacked against them. And so what do they do? It says that they cry out. They're crying out to God, but they're crying out to the people that are in authority as well. You know? And these people that are in authority need somebody to stand up for them and, uh, and give them a voice. They were mortgaging their property. And to us, that's like that. almost everybody has that. And we have, in our country, there's a lot of advantages to having a house and having a mortgage and that um, our um, political system recognizes the advantage of people owning homes. And so they give breaks, they give tax breaks um, to do that. Um, that was not always true. And what, what's happening here is that they can't afford to pay the tax, they can't afford um, to pay for um, food, um, and so the only way that they can do that is that they mortgage what property they have. In this day and time, if, if you mortgage something, um, in order to pay it off a lot of times, if you find yourself bankrupt or in debt, you would sell yourself into servitude for a period of time, either six years or 50 years, depending on on what it was and that's what they were doing they were selling themselves into slavery they were becoming slaves just to be able to eat and just to be able to pay the taxes and that's what it means when it says we are uh, that we have sold our, our our daughters into servitude it's not the same kind of slavery that we had here in the united states what we had in the united states was much more pernicious than this but it was still a, a, they were they were losing their freedom and they were becoming slaves to people as a result of that That they had forgotten something. They had forgotten that they were family. That they were the family of God. That these people who were, who were lending money were lending monies to their brothers and their sisters. And not just to some you know, rabble, some you know, uh, refuse. But this was your brother and your sister. You know how this goes, right? When, if your family is like my family, I mean, we love each other, Right? And if somebody has a need and somebody is in, you know, in trouble, everybody rallies around them. We don't agree with each other politically. We don't agree with each other you know, religiously. We don't agree on a lot of different levels. But when my brother is in need, when my sister is, is hurting, all of us rally around and gather around. And that's just an earthly family. That's not even a picture of the body of Christ. God has always taken this seriously. He's always wanted his people to realize that we're all in this boat together. That if one suffers, all suffer. If one is treated unjustly, then, all, then injustice is like on the table for everybody. Anybody could be experiencing the same thing. And I understand, man, these people are oppressed. They've come back from oppression. They have a lot to unlearn. Um, they, um, 
they're, what they're doing here is exactly the way the world works, but God has always had a higher standard. He's always had a better plan. Because God is after justice, and He's also after mercy. And only God can strike that balance. People have a real hard time, because we see somebody in need, I don't know about you, but when I see somebody in need standing, you know, with a sign um, that says, help me, and I'm not saying that we always, that's always, you know, a clear indication that that's what God wants me to do. A lot of people who work with people like that would, would, um, would discourage you necessarily from giving that way. I would say if God lays it on your heart to give to him, give to him. But people that work with them all the time say that's not really what they need. Sometimes they need something else. Sometimes compassion doesn't mean giving them money, but it means doing something else. But ignoring them is not an option. It's not an option. God's standard is to give what we have to give, to, to recognize that what we have is not just for our use and to take care of ourselves, but what God has given us he intends for us to use to build people, to care for people. I mean, we've talked a lot of times about margin and how important that is. I think that's something that we all really should embrace and understand because none of us has extra time and few of us have extra money. And yet God has called us to build the kingdom of God and to reach out and to care for other people. Amen? And so when we, when we work out our finances or when we work out our time, that we should ahead of time say, God has called me to do this. I'm going to set aside an hour a week. That's not for me. That's for somebody else. Somebody needs to talk. Somebody needs some help. Somebody needs just a listening ear, you know? And I just, I just put that, just like my tithe, I put that aside first and say, when that opportunity comes, I am going to respond. Set aside a, you know, a certain amount of money that is always there to give and to help. Most of the time when people are asking, they're not asking for, your, for a year's wages. They're just asking for a little bit to get by. And that what we do is that we say, it's not just for me, it's for somebody else. And God will determine the time and the place for this to happen. And that way I'm, I'm open to it. I'm looking for it. Instead of just looking to take care of myself. Which, you know, on the surface of it, that just seems like it makes a lot of sense. In the actual execution of it, you know, it's like they're getting what they deserve. I wonder what they did to wind up in this, you know, position. And certainly that's a legitimate question, but that's not the most important question. The most important question is, how, what would God have me do to help? This will be over soon. Uh, Nehemiah chapter, I mean, the, in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah exhibits not just good, but godly leadership. When he heard this that was going on, he got angry. He took it personally. When he, when he heard what the oppression that was happening and that Jews were selling their brothers and their sisters and their children into forced um, uh, bondage, in order to pay these debts, he got angry. He took it personally. He was like, that ain't right. That's what he would say if he was in Texas, right? That ain't right. And he took it personally. 
And he moved to do something with it. Now listen, Nehemiah had already taken this journey that's very similar to Jesus' journey from, the, from the, um, the court of the king, um, the cupbearer for the king, which was a very, it doesn't sound like much to us, but it was a very um, influential and important position that he was in. And we can see that. He had the ear of the king. Most people didn't have that. He had the ear of the king. And yet he willingly stepped down from that position and he left that royal court to go to a place that is full of complications and hard-headed people. And he knew that going into it. And yet he, he willingly stepped down from that position to go and join his brothers and his sisters in doing this work. He bought himself a lot of headaches. And it wasn't for his own well-being. He was already well off. He was already fine. But it was because he loved these people and because he identified with these people and more than that, because he loved God and he was concerned about God's, what God was concerned about, about God's reputation and God's people and God's name and the nation of Israel who were a people for his own possession. He got this and he followed that same path that Jesus did, that same ark that goes down, not necessarily up. Doesn't use, what do I have at my advantage? Let me count my assets, and how can I use these assets to best serve myself? It's like, what do I have at my disposal? And what he had was influence, and what he had was the willingness to sacrifice. You know that love is not a feeling. It's something wrong with it if it doesn't, isn't accompanied by some feelings sometimes. But just because the feelings are not there doesn't mean that there's not love there. Love is sacrifice. That's what it is. Love is, is caring above yourself for the well-being of someone else. Nehemiah exhibits not just good but godly leadership. Some of what's happening here, and we're going to find this out as we work our way through the rest of the book of uh, Nehemiah, is that in God restoring his people, he's also restoring his word to them. Because when, the, when Ezra stands up to read, they are their attention is like, they're, they're just fixated on what he's saying because they've never heard it before. And they stand from the, from the time the sun comes up until the time the sun goes down as Ezra reads it. We're, we'll study this in more detail. They have forgotten the law. And this thing that Nehemiah is expecting of them is not like, doesn't come naturally to us. They could, be, they could be excused because they have not been uh, you know, under the influence of the word and they did not know what the Lord, Lord would say about it. And if you're just trying to figure out what God would want, most of the time you can't figure it out. And if God says, do this and do this and do this, you'll pick one or two and you'll leave the one that God is most interested in. And so it's, it's very understandable that they didn't get it. But Nehemiah got it. I don't know where Nehemiah got this from, but Nehemiah was well-versed in the ways of the Lord and well-versed in the will of the Lord and, the, and the, um, the desire of God. He knew what God wanted and it made him mad. There's some things that are worth getting mad about. There's some things that are worth just turning the apple cart over or the temple, you know. <laughs> Sometimes there's, there's things that are worth that. When you just said, this is not right, this must be set right. And it's not just the actions, but it's the heart that's behind it. Because if we want to be the people of God, we have to have a heart like God's heart. And that's not negotiable. We can't call ourselves the people of God and have a hardened, dark, selfish, materialistic heart.
They were rebuilding the wall, but God also is beginning in this chapter to restore order and justice in his kingdom. Last week we talked about spiritual warfare. Actually, for the last two weeks we talked about spiritual warfare, and it's real simple. God is the God of order. God is the God of creation. The enemy is, is a God of chaos. And if you want to see chaos, look at everybody acting in their own best interest. That's chaos. Look at everybody taking care of themselves, me first. You want to know what the, um, what the creed of the church of Satan is? It's just simply this, me first. That's, that's Satan's will. That's Satan's desire for us. And when we're tempted that way, what we have to have is the word of God that says, no God first. It's not about you. That's hard to swallow sometimes, but it's true. This is preparation for true worship, not lip service. God always took the treatment of the poor seriously and expected it to be a distinct aspect of his people, reflecting his own heart and his own character. This failure on their part might be because they have forgotten the law. But there's still no excuse. God says, this is what I want, and we're responsible for that. We need to know what he wants. We talk about justice. What does justice mean to God? There's a story that Jesus tells about a guy who goes to a ruler and he owes him, uh, they, they use, you know, they use their, um, uh, their economic system, their, um, uh, their, uh, what their money is worth. And it's like he owes him, I can't remember, but it, what it ends up being is something like $7 million dollars. And he comes and he just falls before this ruler and he just cries and he just begs him and he says, oh, please, you know, please forgive me. And the ruler says, I forgive you. And then the guy goes out and bumps into somebody that owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the collar and he throttles him and he says, you will pay me what? And he does the same thing. He sells him. He, he takes him to the, to the jail and he says, you're going to stay in the jail until you pay me my 20 bucks. And somebody tells the ruler what happened, and the guy calls him back in. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, we're pals, you know. And he comes back in, and the guy says, you're going to jail. Because I, can, I forgave you much, and you wouldn't forgive others. You see how this works? God has already trumped our feelings of self-righteousness and, 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 uh, and, and, and loving for people and, and being something that you would like honor and respect because he's done so much more for us already. He's already trumped what we're doing by saying, yeah, I've given you limitless resource. I've forgiven all of your sins. I've cared for you. And, and yet, would you hold 20 bucks against somebody else? It's like, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do that. It's just not right. Now look, Jesus has extended all of this stuff to us and there's no strings attached, right? But what kind of person wants to live that way where somebody has been so generous with them and they want to be so miserly with somebody else? Who wants that? Who could look at themselves and say, yeah, that's right. I used what you gave me to my advantage, but I'm not willing to give to somebody else. That's not right. God's sense of justice is not that I am under obligation to him, but that I love him. And love looks like obligation sometimes, doesn't it? Love looks like that. Like you have to deny myself and what I want in order to give something to somebody else that they don't deserve. 
That looks like obligation, but it's not. If you've ever been married, you know better than that, right? I hope you do, right? If you've ever had kids, you know better than that, right? I mean, I'm a grandparent now. I have totally forgotten how much work is involved in having children. And when my grandchildren come to visit, which I love and I wanted to do as often as possible, it's an incredible amount of work. And we did this. We raised five boys, you know? And we've, I've totally forgotten that. That I don't have my space and my time and my spot and, you know, and all of that. My money. I don't have any of that. I, I, you know, it's like, this is my stuff. But we give because we love. And there's something wrong with us if we don't. What does justice mean to God? Jesus bumped heads with the Pharisees so often, and one of the main reasons why is because they tried to use the law to justify themselves instead of using the law to humble them. And the Pharisees, when Jesus would say something, the Pharisees would argue with him. It's like they were already, that was their default position. They're going to argue with him. Pretty quickly after he came on the scene, they realized this guy (laughs) is not in our camp. He's got a whole different way of seeing the scriptures and of teaching the scriptures. And so they fought with him. They, they argued with him. They contended with him. Almost everywhere he went, they would have followers and he had people that were just soaking up what he had to say. And then this delegation would show up, of four or five guys, and they would stand beside before him and they would say, now answer me this question. Answer me that question. And what they were trying to do is justify themselves. And Jesus said, you... you, you uh, Strain in the gnat and you swallow a camel. He says, go and, go and, and read um, and, and see what this means. I desire what? Mercy and not... Man, we're so good at sacrifice and we're so bad at mercy that we apply the hard things to other people or we turn a deaf ear to them, to other people. Whereas we know when people have been kind to us and generous to us, it means so much more than whatever they gave us. It means so much more than that. It means I'm valued. It means I matter. I count. And that voice that the devil is always speaking to you, and that, that's what fights that thing. The devil tells you you're not worthy, you're not able, you're, you're a loser. And the fact that someone cares for us, listens to us, gives to us, supports us, takes on it as a personal thing. Most of you guys know we found out one of our missionaries this past week was involved in a terrible accident in a foreign country. And in a foreign country, Americans are seen as rich and we are. We, they're not wrong. We are rich. We are rich. beyond Even, even the least of us has so much more in, in, to our advantage than they do. And so what did they do? They took our missionary and they put him in jail because they wanted to make sure that they were going to hold on to him until they got satisfaction. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not justice, but it's their form of justice. And so he's in, in jail, and we put the word out, not just to our people, but to the world. And what did we do? We prayed, and we took it as a personal thing, and we brought it up to God over and over and over and over and over again. It wasn't just that doesn't pertain to me. That's crazy to think that way. But this is personal. This is Philip. 
This is somebody that has worshipped with us and that we've laid hands on and sent out. This is somebody that's a part of our family. And so we prayed. And we were ready to do more than that if necessary. The whole thing is not settled yet, but how many of you guys like shouted in joy when you saw that Philip has been let go, right? Almost as if it was your child, right? Or your brother, or you. Almost as if it was so personal with us that we couldn't just, you know, distance ourselves from it and like, oh, well, you know, he shouldn't have been in Nicaragua anyway, or, you know, he's, you know, hope that works out okay. It was like, oh, no, oh, God, and cry goes out before him because we're appealing to a higher authority. Their system of justice is very undependable, but our system of justice, our God, is above all of it. Amen? They're rebuilding the wall, but they're also establishing godly order and justice. What does justice mean to God? Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 through 9, and you will, um, you will recognize this. I'm sorry, this, that's more of chapter 5. Isaiah chapter five, uh, 58, verses 5 through 9, it says, it Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And most people would. <laughs> most people would. If you actually fasted, if you bowed down before the Lord, if you spread sackcloth and ashes, which is just a, a form of, of humility to be, to be humbled um, before God. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And he says, this is the fast that I choose. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with bowing down, kneeling before the Lord, humbling ourselves and all of that. But he wants it to translate into action. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. That's what he's looking for. He wants self-denial not to be self-serving. But he wants self-denial to be like his self-denial that benefits the world, that benefits others, that benefits, listen, people that don't deserve it. But that God would have us to show mercy and compassion upon. Then will your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then shall you call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Jesus said that your righteousness is going to have to uh, exceed, um, surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And we've seen this over and over again. In the New Testament church, you remember what they did financially, what their financial system was. Like, you know, it sounds like socialism or communism. It's not. It's not at all. Both of those are op oppressive systems. Both of those are based on law and obligation. But based on love, what they did is they shared everything in common. Now, the law didn't say you have to do this. 
But they remember Jesus' words to the, to the rich young ruler and says, if you really want the kingdom of God, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. They remembered that firsthand. Most of them probably heard that firsthand from him. So what did they, what did they do? They just said, everything I have is yours. And they shared those things. That, that's your righteousness exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees. Not doing something because you have to, but to be what the Bible calls a hilarious giver. And I guarantee you, if there's anything that will witness to the world, it's our generosity to, uh, to our, our brothers and sisters, but also to others. To be a ready source. Not just, I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your interest and your care and your concern. Not just for yourself. And not just for the things that pertain to you or that benefit you. See, Jesus kind of sees beyond the veil. He knows not just what we're doing, but what the motive is behind that. And that's when he says, that's why he says, when you give, don't, you know, raise a big ruckus about it and let everybody know. But do it in secret, and your heavenly father who sees in secret will repay you. Years ago, we had uh, one of our kids was in the hospital for an extended period of time. And uh, it was months that he was in the hospital. And uh, Becky would be up there with him, and I would be home, and then we would just pass each other, you know, going back to Dallas, and then she would be home, and then I would be up there. Well, I was home um, with the boys on a weekend, and uh, I was in the back of the house, and there was a knock at the front door, and I heard the knock at the front door, and then the boys were like, I'll, I'll get it. So they went, and they got it, and then I heard the door close, and I came back up to the front of the house. Um, I saw a van pulling away. I think it was a, like a white van. I don't even remember that much. Didn't recognize it at all, and one of my boys handed me an envelope that that person had given them. They didn't recognize it, and in the envelope was $1,000. I don't even know who it was from. I'll tell you the beauty of this. It could have been from any one of you guys, or it could have been from a Sunday school class here, or from a small group here, or from a Sunday school class from Green Acres, or, you know, Marvin, or something like that. Somebody who had just heard, and they gave the money, and what they did is they gave that money to the Lord, and God gave us that money. And now in the back of my mind, people can say, you know, people are selfish and people are, you know, self-serving and all of that. But I know myself, I have experienced the generosity of a stranger. And what a blessing that is. And, and it just it impressed me so much. And I'm under obligation, if you understand what I mean. I'm under obligation to God, my own obligation, I have put myself. He didn't say this is the condition, but I'm saying because you have done this to me, I want to do this for others. I want to be there for others. I've been forgiven much from God and from others. And I say as a result of that, God, you have been so generous with me. I want to be like that to other people. Having been on the receiving end of it, I, have, I am without excuse if I don't understand what that means to somebody else. And I could read you a bunch of uh, prophetic words that have to do um, with this and how God just pleaded with Israel over and over and over again you know, to do the right thing, the hard thing, um, 
and not just to serve themselves. But I won't do that. I think I've made my point, and I think Nehemiah has made his point. I just want to close with that last phrase um, from, uh, that we read from chapter 5. Well, starting in 17, it says, Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was the ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every uh, ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor uh, because the service was too heavy on this people. And then finally he says this, he says, remember for my good. He lapses into prayer, and this is what his prayer is. He says, God, remember for my good all that I have done for this people. And what that comes down to is that all of this stuff is between you and God. It's not between you and anybody else. It's certainly not between you and me. I'm not good at being a cop, and I'm not you know, good at telling people you ought to this and you should have that. But I'm really good at pointing people to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to be open to what God is putting on our hearts to do. And if what I've said this morning at least makes you, when the Holy Spirit says this, you don't say, well, that's crazy. I couldn't do that. But you say, hey, we just looked at Nehemiah. He went above and beyond. Maybe God's calling me to go above and beyond and to listen to that voice. The voice that says, if you love, then serve. If you love, then give from what you have that God has given you. And not only will you not be poorer, but you will be richer in so many ways, and so will other people, and so will our community and our, and our world. Amen? All right, so let's stand together and pray. Thank you, Lord. Um, we're going to be here for prayer. If you want to, if you need prayer this morning, um, you'd be sure and, and come. Actually, um, lead us in a chorus, and, uh, and we'll be here for prayer. And if you need prayer afterwards, um, just let me know. We'll be glad to do that. Sometimes we close uh, contempt, com, how do you say that word? Contemplatively? Contemplative. Wow, that's a mouthful. Today I just feel like worshiping. <laughs> I'm just so excited about Philip being released. And, Amen. Uh, we prayed and just uh, all that God's done and is doing in our midst. And uh, just that word of justice. How we're the dancers who dance upon injustice. Amen. Let's worship. Yeah. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the people rose to sing out, Jesus Christ, the risen one. Did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the lost began to sing of Jesus Christ, the saving one. Yeah. And we can see that God be moving a mighty river through the nation. Young and old will turn to Jesus. Fling wide you heavenly gates. Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Open up the doors. Let the music play. 
tower was singing songs that bring your hope, songs that bring your joy, dancers who dance upon injustice. Did you feel the darkness tremble when all the saints joined in one song and all the streams flowed as one river to wash away our brokenness? Yeah. See that God you're moving. A time of jubilee is coming. Yeah, when young and old will turn to Jesus. Oh, fling wide through heavenly gates. Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Open up the Down with singing songs that bring your hope, songs that bring your joy, dancers who dance upon injustice. Hallelujah! Yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. We are the family of God, and I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for the many ways you've given us opportunities, Lord, to share out of the abundance of what you have given to us so freely, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that today we would be an influence, Lord, on our families, on the places that we work, on our community, Lord Jesus, um, as we reach beyond ourselves, as we live a lifestyle that is self-denying, Lord Jesus, but, but is God-serving in every single way. Um, I pray today, Lord Jesus, if any one of us is holding an obligation or a debt over somebody else, Lord, that we, you would help us to see that the way you see it, Lord. Whether it's forgiveness, whether it may be a financial obligation, um, in whatever way, Lord, that we might have some kind of a debt that is owed to us, Lord, that this morning you would just at least just open our eyes to the to the incredible riches that you have given to us, Lord, and that we would see that debt in the light of, of your grace and your mercy. We're not good, Lord Jesus said, at understanding justice in, in the context of mercy, but you are, Lord, you are, and you have gone so far above and beyond in loving us and caring for us, Lord, and not putting us under obligation, Lord, but putting us under grace and mercy and freedom. And I pray, God, that you would give us the grace to be able to do that. The grace, Lord Jesus, to be able to extend mercy. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes because everything we do a lot of times is right in our own eyes, but I know you have a higher calling for us. I know, Lord Jesus, that you have a, a better perspective on things than we do. 
And we don't know what we don't know, Lord. We don't know what we're not aware of. I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord Jesus, um, to see ourselves and to see our world, Lord, as you see it. Open our eyes, Lord, to the things that we're blind to. Open our ears to the things that we're deaf, deaf to, Lord. And for the joy set before us, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to respond as you have responded to us, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning. We can see that God can move in. A time of jubilee is coming. When young and old will turn to Jesus Fling wide you heavenly gates And prepare the way of the risen Lord Open up the doors Let the music play Let the streets is singing songs that bring your hope, songs that bring your joy, dancers who dance upon injustice.